Sorry to disturb you at this hour, but you've been personally selected to receive a most irresistible offer. Look, I'm kind of busy right now. Wait, Mr. Nabel. I have something you want. Escape from all your failures and woes at the touch of your thumb. Your passport to the ultimate television adventure. A couch potato and his wife are pulled into a nightmare TV world where they have to survive for 24 hours. Join us as we discuss how you electrocute a robot, Spinderella saving the day, and a slip of the tongue that James wishes I would edit out. But I'm not gonna. Then we find out if Stay Tuned stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say The movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is James Brief. That is what my mother named me. Well, she named you James. The brief came from your father. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what my father named me, uh, and also how he gave that name to my mother. That's true. He, he, like, gave that name to a lot of people. Well, I mean, five. I guess my nieces and nephews are also briefs because of him. Yeah, like, what's his deal? I don't know, lineage? I mean, very patriarchal, don't you think? Um, as opposed to matriarchal, in this case, uh, the, the patriarchal name was taken. Yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking about Stay Tuned, a movie that starred John Ritter. And John Ritter was famous because he was on Three's Company. I never watched Three's Company. Was that like a show you would watch on like reruns or something? Yes. And I hated it. It was just something <laughs> that was on. And, you know, when I was a kid, I never, ever knew the premise of the show. You know what the premise of the show was? I do, I think. I'm not 100% sure. John Ritter's character lived with two women and he pretended to be gay so that he could like otherwise he wouldn't be allowed is that right yeah it turns out the landlord would not rent to a single man living with two uh, single young ladies so he goes oh no no no, I, i'm gay so apparently the every episode was basically whenever the landlord came around he would have to like not be flirting with the dates he brought over all i remember is that every episode was like a slight misunderstanding where jack like receives a letter that says i love you jack and his girlfriend is like so man it turns out it's his cousin that wrote that or something i didn't like the show but john ritter the late john ritter he was charming he was lovely i always liked him i just didn't really like three's company yeah i've never watched it and it's funny that i knew he was famous from that show three's company that i never watched when i was growing up i knew him from this movie and two other movies that he starred in Problem Child and Problem Child 2, which maybe we'll do on the podcast at some point. I mean, why not? I don't think we need to do two of them. But... Yeah, we can just do one. I think the second one is basically the same thing, if I remember right. 
Well, I think it has a girl in it. There's like a problem child girl. Oh, right, right. Because it was problem child to the number two. But I think in the poster or the trailer, it was like, she's a problem child to T-O-O. Ah, he's mad as match. Indeed. Yeah, I think you're right. Michael Richards is in one of them. I'm not sure if it's one or two. I believe he's in the first one because I really don't think I saw more than one. No, (laughs) actually, maybe I did. I think I might have seen the second one. Okay. Uh, But, I mean, he was primarily known as a TV star. Until his untimely death, he was in a, a relatively popular show on ABC called Eight Simple Rules About Dating My Teenage Daughter, which wound up going on for several years after his death. Do you know what he died of? Was it an aneurysm? Um, no, he actually died of something called an aortic dissection. That's when there's a hole. It leaks out into the musculature of the aorta. So the actual muscle of the aorta kind of gets big and fat. That'll kill you pretty quickly. I had heard, I don't know the details of it, that it was a misdiagnosis and maybe he was sent home or I don't know what happened. But the guy was 54 and I believe his widow may have sued the hospital successfully. But it's talked about in medicine as like the actor John Ritter died of this. Like this is something like you should know when this comes to the uh, emergency room. Like these are the signs of aortic dissection, like a tearing sensation in your chest. That's, I think that's what the, what the uh, signs are. But um, the last thing I remember him from was from a movie that we will do one year during Christmas, and that is Bad Santa. Right. He was really funny in that one. And uh, he has this very, like, boyish face, kind of like Michael J. Fox. And uh, yeah. he's got this, like, the same hairdo, like, his entire career. And um, in this film, he's something that we've kind of lost track of it, or not lost track of, we don't really have anymore. And that is the couch potato. So a couch potato is someone that sat on the couch all day in front of the television and just like a zombie just watched and watched and watched. The problem with television is that it's completely passive. It's one way. You just sit there and you get what they give you. But with the internet, you get to search out. No, I specifically want to see monkeys dancing, wearing funny-looking hats. And you will find this video. There is more interaction to it. But a couch potato was definitely a real bad thing. Like You didn't want to be known as a couch potato because you'd sit there and you'd probably eat a lot. It probably led to your weight gain and you probably were very sedentary and not athletic and in this case was affecting his marriage too a hundred percent the phrase couch potato does not stand the test of time anyone around our age or older will know what you're talking about if you say it i'm sure if i mentioned it to my kids they would have no idea what a couch potato is yeah i think now you would just say someone who's just addicted to their screens which is pretty much everyone i guess some more than others this is true Yeah, so if you haven't seen this film, and many of you haven't, um, Stay Tuned is about a couple in a failing marriage, Roy the couch potato and Helen the successful but neglected wife. When a mysterious man named Mr. Spike shows up at their house, he offers them a new television set with 666 new channels. Get it? 666? I do get it. Uh Uh-huh. So Roy takes the deal. The deal with the devil. Oh. However, Roy and Helen are soon sucked into the hellish television universe and must survive a series of sadistic shows and movies before they can return to the real world. Luckily, they also get some help from Mr. Spike's former assistant, and they also get some help from their kids. 
Uh-huh. So this movie, like last week's movie, Three Ninjas, I remember seeing in the theater in California with my sister, also after getting Carl's Jr., I'm sure. And I think, possibly, we may have even seen it twice. <gasps> yeah, if we were like really bored and we knew that we liked this movie, we may have gone to see it more than once. We might have done that with Three Ninjas also. I'm not totally sure. But I can't imagine that this was a big hit, despite the Noah siblings going possibly more than once. This film had a $25 million budget. Whoa. And it opened on August 14, 1992 in sixth place with $6.5 million. By the next week, it was at number 10. And it opened at number six with $6.5 million. It petered out with $10 million. That's like not even a 1.5 multiplier. Nobody saw this except you, your sister, possibly you and your sister again, <laughs> and me and my entire camp group because uh, we must have had some kind of uh, outdoor activity that day and it rained. This was our activity. We went to the uh, Pro River uh, movie and we probably got to go to McDonald's before. And so that was probably pretty fun. Oh, not as good as Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. is better than McDonald's. That's true. But the McDonald's that we used to go to from this camp did have one of those play pens, play areas in like the, that were still around the 90s. The play place. That's right. And this is one of those indoor ones. Yeah. I mean, in the Northeast, I would imagine most of them are indoors. They definitely had outdoor uh, play areas. Yeah, but those are more common in warmer climates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were talking about John Ritter being in this movie, but uh, someone else is in this movie, uh, Jeffrey Jones. He is Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's also in Beetlejuice. And he had like a child pornography arrest thing that like kind of hurt his career, but also like he still works, which is kind of weird. It seems like the kind of thing in an acting world, there's just so many alternatives, you know? It's not like, well, he's the brain surgeon and he's the only one who can do this operation. It's like, he's an actor. Right. But like, the movie starts with voiceover, eye roll, and like the kids describing his dad and how his dad watches like way too much TV and... There's clearly a problem with the marriage, and the kid has a plan to fix the marriage. And it's basically that he and the sister are going to leave the house, and then the parents are going to have their alone time, and that will fix the problem. Obviously, that's not how marriages get fixed, but like you appreciate that the kid, like, you know, wants to do the right thing to help his parents. And the dad, Roy, played by John Ritter, can't take his eyes off the TV. So Jeffrey Jones comes over. It's the deal with the devil. Although Jeffrey Jones isn't the devil himself. He's Mr. Spike, who works for the devil. Also, the name Mr. Spike, like, come on. Either you're Spike or you're something else. But don't be Mr. Spike. We never see the devil, Satan himself. I wonder if it was set up for a sequel, like that's when we're going to meet the real bad guy and maybe they'll get Jack Nicholson to play him. That's fair. I, I didn't think of it in terms of a sequel. I was sort of thinking about it in terms of like the whole concept of hell is just played for laughs in this movie. And that's fine. Like, I don't care. But like, I wonder if you would do that in a movie today. Like, I feel like you would 
maybe need to make it a little bit more serious. Like if it's going to be about hell, then it's going to be about religion. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but then you have to maybe treat it like a little bit seriously. So you don't piss off like the religious people. I don't know. I mean, like we're Jews. We don't believe in hell, but like we get it. There's hell, there's Satan, devils, you know, running around with pitchforks. There's nothing like beyond that in this movie. What does that have to do with anything? I don't believe in Thor, the thought of Gunder, but... uh... What's the thought of Gunder? Oh, God. Fuck. (laughs) Before you ask, no, I'm not editing that. <laughs> well, maybe I'll like make it into like a little like auto tune video and I'll post it on all of our social media channels. Oh, I love social media. I know. But my point, Al, is that I don't have to believe in the thud of Gunder, but you know, you can still watch a movie about it. You don't have to believe in hell to watch Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Hell is whatever you want it to be, but they were trying to make it funny. Fair point. But I feel like Bill and Ted's bogus journey, even though it's very, very funny, they still, like, treat it with a little bit of respect. Uh, Heaven, maybe. But hell? I mean, didn't they have, like, sadistic uh, military officers and the Easter bunny trying to kill them? Yeah. I don't think we're taking it that seriously. No, no, it's not taken seriously. I guess my thought was that, like, would... Christian fundamentalists be mad at hell being a pure punchline in this movie today. I don't think they would take exception to this. They don't mention Jesus at all. They don't try to make it religious in any way. If in the end they were able to do this by using a cross and goodness that hurt the devil, then you're getting into religious stuff. And they don't try to make this Christian in any way. Fair. Fair point. The, the movie is basically, um, it's sort of like Tron, but instead of getting beamed into a computer, they're beamed into a television universe that's basically uh, hell, but they're basically mostly spoofs of 90s pop culture. Yeah. There's a couple original little television shows they go into, but mostly there's things like Three Men and Rosemary's Baby, where it's like a baby that spins its head around. And The Silencer of the Lambs, that is a a mask that looks like Hannibal Lecter's mask that you put on your children that they're advertising for when they're too loud in the car. And there's also Silence of the Pets for a Hannibal Lecter mask for your dog, too. And the two of them, they'll show up on some of them. There's one like a game show, not, not based on any particular pop culture thing, but one called You Can't Win. And it's basically where the penalty for losing is death. But they do win, which is weird. And some of these things that you're mentioning, they're not things that Roy and Helen go to. They're more of just like these commercial gags in between the main plot of the story. And it kind of made me think a little bit of UHF, where they do some just like real quick spoofs of pop culture things. Except in UHF, the spoofs and parodies are funny. And in Stay Tuned, they're really, really not funny. Like, The Silencer of the Lambs, that's like a terrible joke that would be rejected from Mad Magazine. You know, like, these are just not good. There was one, I think it was over the ending credits, where instead of married with children, it's unmarried with children. 
you're not even trying at that point. You could tell these were probably the things on a, on a whiteboard or whatever that they didn't quite flesh out into sketches. So they just put them right at the end credits. The end credits just shows like the fall TV lineup coming out this fall. Beverly Hills 90666. Do the writers really expect the audience to be looking at that and a theater starts laughing? I don't know. I mean, some of them are like mildly clever, you know, like autopsies of the rich and famous. Uh, Okay, that's a little bit, I guess, kind of clever. I thought Murder, She Likes as a parody of Murder, She Wrote. That's fairly clever. The facts of life support that in a hellish environment could be a good show, a a funny dark humor. We don't get to see that, though. We also got to see uh, very dated references. There was David Dukes of Hazard. He was a a well-known Ku Klux Klan. I think he was the Grand Dragon, and he ran for governor of uh, Mississippi, I think. Grand Wizard. And he also endorsed Donald Trump in 2016, and that was like a scandal of one day where Donald Trump refused to say that he condemned that. Because, of course, he wouldn't condemn that. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, There is one spoof in this film that the spoof itself uh, stands the test of time. And that is the spoof of Wayne's World. But in this film, it's Dwayne's Underworld. And you know what? This is the only sketch in the entire film that actually made me smile. So there's a lot of cringy things in there. There's a big sign that says, Saturday night... Dead. Right. Oh, God. And I'll give credit on the Mike Myers, Dana Carvey impersonators, the the Wayne and Garth impersonators. They were fine, actually. I I thought they did a good job. They, they, uh, They hired good actors here. And there was one really, really stupid stupid thing that they were uh, trying to get Roy to, to do the thing that they did to Noah and Noah's Arcade and get him to say things that, that are funny. They said, say the name of these three objects. And the first one was I, I guess was like an eyeball. Fine. The next two looked like a battleship. And then the third was like a little red piece of cloth. He read it as I warship satin Guess what? Wayne and Garth got him to say, I worship Satan. And it's like, first of all, does anyone call it a warship? <laughs> and is he really going to look at that and without touching it or anything go satin? It seems weird. They didn't establish that this guy works in fashion or something or has a clothing store. <laughs> so I just, it was incredibly forced. Like, it was so bad. However, there was one part of this that I actually smiled at the extreme close up. I thought that was kind of funny. Extreme close-up, because they used to do that in Wayne's World. And in this case, they just ran with the uh, camera and smashed him in the face. I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, okay, I did not laugh. Not laugh out loud funny. I did not laugh out loud once in this film. I mean, I watched this movie with my daughter, and she made a point of saying that she didn't understand any of the jokes and any of the references. But she did understand Wayne's World, because she'd seen that movie Maybe that's inappropriate, but whatever. So she got it. And Stay Tuned came out in August of 1992. Wayne's World, the movie, came out in February of 1992, which made Wayne's World even more popular than it had been as just an SNL sketch. So 
this part of the movie probably stands the test of time the most then and now, I would guess. Yeah, I would say this is this might be um, one of the most successful uh, parts of the film. And that's because, you're right, it's riding on the coattails. And they must have done a rewrite here. Because did you notice they even put in on one of the cards, it said Sphincter Boy, and it's pointing to Roy? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, they must have like done a reshoot there. Or, you know, if they shot this late, they, they put that in. Um, I remember seeing the trailer for this film... Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking I did not want to see this film. And when our camp told us we were seeing it, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> but uh, we, we did see this film. And I did remember that the trailer did have a Three's Company spoof. Yeah. And it's not laugh out loud funny, but it's like, I'm glad John Ritter got to like visit the set again. You know, that must have been a fun little like shoot that day to see it. But it's not funny. No, and it's not even really all that meta because it's not like they got uh, Suzanne Summers and the other woman in that show. Sorry, I don't know her name. It's just like lookalikes and it wasn't the real set. It was just a recreation. It's just kind of like a joke for the parents who brought their kids to the movie, I assume. And it doesn't really land. The woman, her name was Joyce DeWitt. I did have to look it up, but uh, you could do something funny with it. Maybe he does the scene and he's like, why does this all seem familiar? And that might be funny, but it's literally, it's one second. Because there's a point in the film when he gets control of a remote control and he's able to just continually switch the channel. And that actually leads me to one of the flaws in the plot of this film. The plot is that if you could survive for 24 hours, you get sent back uh, to the real world. And apparently it was a deal they made with Heaven. First of all, I wonder what the original offer was. Basically, Heaven was like, okay, we'll give you a system where essentially nobody could escape, but maybe in the most extreme circumstance, they will. But um, there's basically a part early on when they're trapped inside a shed and surrounded by wolves. And I was thinking, great, sit there. You got it. 24 hours. You're fine. No, because then the wolves start breaking into the shed. No, only because they uh, drop the lantern and light it on fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when they're with uh, Spike's assistant, played by Eugene Levy. Right. I remember thinking, this guy, Eugene Levy, he understands the premise of this world. He even tells them, like, you need a day. Just sit tight, dude. Sit in the cabin. That's it. But then he opens the door because he thinks that it's all clear. And then like a wolf jumps from the roof and attacks him. And then they get in and then the fire starts and everything. And that was the Northern Exposure parody, Northern Overexposure. (laughs) Yeah. But you could have done something funny with Northern Overexposure. It could have been a guy that greets you and shakes your hand when you shake his hand. It falls off because it's overexposure to frostbite. It's not that funny, but it's better than anything they did here. Right, right. Well, I'm curious if you like the cartoon sequence in the middle because I know you are a fan of cartoons in general. Absolutely. There's a part when they switch the channel and they become animated characters. And it was actually kind of a pleasant little, you know, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry kind of film. You know who directed that scene? Chuck 
Jones, is yeah. that right? Chuck Jones. Like he is a very, very famous uh, Looney Tunes director. I don't know if he directed anything other than that. He and Mel Blanc are known as the people that made the Looney Tunes characters what they were. And I thought that scene was really good. It didn't make me laugh, but it was a charming little Tom and Jerry cartoon for three minutes. And that's really all it was. But um, I like that scene. Yeah, it looks just like any cartoon of that ilk would look. And, you know, he uses, like, the cartoon logic of sending a letter to the Acme Corporation ordering a robot dog because they're mice and they're being hunted by a robot cat. So then the only thing that defeats a robot cat is a robot dog. And, like, that works, right? Like, he's a couch potato. He understands how cartoons work. And it kind of makes sense. There's one part where they electrocute the robot cat by like putting it in the bathtub and then pushing a toaster in or a hairdryer or something that electrocutes the cat, which, you know, that's a thing with bathtubs and appliances, but also it's already a robot cat. So wouldn't that electrocute itself anyway? Um, yeah, it was ready in water. Yeah. Yes. I, I guess sending the shock into the water, maybe it caused a surge to it. Good pickup, Al. I mean, I just thought that was like a little unnecessary. But the other thing I remembered about this movie was the salt and Peppa music video. I had no idea this existed. <laughs> you know, I, some of these things when I saw it, like even the cartoon, I was like, I didn't remember it. But I was like, this rings a bell. Dwayne's Underworld. Okay, vaguely familiar. But I did not remember this part at all. All and it is a full length music video. They play the whole song. No, they cut out after like two minutes or so. And it has uh, Salt Peppa and uh, Spinderella. Obviously, yeah, like, they're all in it. And it- it's weird. What are they doing there? Like, are they in hell? They're on HTV, which is like MTV, except the H presumably stands for hell. Get it? I liked this part. Again, not funny, but it was cute, I would say. This song is incredibly 90s. Here, let me, let me show you a quick clip of it. And then someone gets a hold of this remote and someone accidentally presses the mute button and the entire movie goes mute. That was kind of clever. It breaks the fourth wall and then uh, Spinderella picks up the remote and uh, she turns it up. Spinderella saves the day. That's the kind of thing you'd see in those Geico kind of commercials, but it was just weird here. Yeah, I mean... I remembered this song. Like, as soon as it started playing, I was like, you got to start me up. I don't know why this song has a place in my memory banks, but it does. It's a catchy salt and pepper song. Not their best, but whatever. Eventually, though, it comes down to a showdown between Roy and Spike, and he has to save Helen from a Western movie. He saves her from a train that's like barreling towards her by hitting the power button on the remote, which makes the train explode, which really doesn't make sense. Like if you're turning it off, then everything should go off, not just like one element would blow up. I know I'm overanalyzing the plot of Stay Tuned and that is a futile effort, but 
I just thought that was weird. No, it was incredibly stupid and it came out of nowhere. It should have been one of these scenes in the back room about how they talk about how they have a remote, but I hope they don't press this thing. And it just came out of nowhere. It was one of these do sex machinas. Like, oh, this remote that Sagelbaum had the entire time, he could have pressed power and he never tried it once. Somehow Sagelbaum figured out this whole place and how to uh, jump around. This is another neighbor that had been sucked in earlier in the opening scene. Even Sagelbaum, he said the secret to this place is every time the heat turns up, I just change the channel. Some guy comes in and goes, Hey, Sagobaum, I'm taking over this club. Why didn't he change the channel? <laughs> I'm like, oh, does he change the channel with them and uh, they all go away? No, he just dies right there. Idiot. Yeah, that's a good point. They entered a, like a really weird like boomer humor, kind of like take my wife, please kind of thing where he's very happy his wife was killed by Godzilla in a previous show. Right, right. Uh, And not only that she was killed, but that she was sent to hell. Although maybe he doesn't fully realize that. I didn't really follow it, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) But can we also talk about this back scene in hell? Who are these people that are like the executives? Are they living? They have no morals and they're willing to work for this job in hell? Are they in hell and they kind of have one of the better jobs in hell? It's really not clear. I really can't figure this out. I assumed that they were all demons. And I think I was thinking that because of the good place where you have these characters who are angels or demons, but they look like people. And this is like their bureaucracy. It's like their job, you know, to torture people or save people or whatever. So the good place is the spiritual successor to stay tuned is what you're saying. I mean, in a way, you can sort of see a little bit of a through line there where it's like, this is their job. They come up with ways to torture people in the afterlife. I mean, that's about all of the narrative DNA that they share. But yeah, there's something, I guess. I mean, The Good Place was much, much better than this shitty movie, to be clear. But, you know, there's some thread there, I guess. Well, with that being said, (laughs) when you call it this shitty movie, what do you say, Al? Does 1992's Stay Tuned stand the test of time? And listeners, stay tuned for Alan's response. Eh? No, the movie does not stand the test of time. The title, Stay Tuned, does not stand the test of time. Like, I had to explain that to my kids. You see, kids, in the old days... There were commercials. And before the TV show would go to commercial, the announcer would say, stay tuned. Don't change the channel while there's a commercial. Like, that's a concept that my kids don't really know about because they don't watch live TV ever except for the Super Bowl, in which case they want to watch the commercials because that's part of the appeal. So the phrase stay tuned doesn't stand the test of time. The movie doesn't stand the test of time. The jokes, the references... None of it stands the test of time. It's not funny. It's not clever. It's really just dumb. Like on every level, it just fails the test. The test of time, it gets a big stinking F. It's not even close. Of course it doesn't stand the test of time. I will be very shocked if you disagree. You know, as a child, you like a lot of films that you really probably shouldn't like. This is one of these films that as a kid, I was what, 12 years old or something, And I remember thinking, this movie is so 
bad. Hmm. Probably the first time in my life I wanted to walk out of a movie, but, you know, I was with Cam. This is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I don't think it aged well, except for the fact that the cartoon was fine. And when I saw Eugene Levy, I said, oh, look, it's Eugene Levy. And he's always charming. He kind of talks funny. Just his voice is kind of funny. That's not enough. You mm. can't just put Eugene Levy in a film and make it good. That's you can't? Not, no, you can't. There, there, there are films where he's in, and it does not help that he's in it. Well, no, it helps that he's in it. It does not save it that he's in it. What about those 42 direct-to-video American Pie sequels? That's right. And uh, there is a film I've never seen. I think it's with uh, Samuel Jackson and Eugene Levy. I own this DVD, and it's called The Man. Why do I own this DVD, you're wondering? One day, my brother, he just handed me this DVD, which I believe he got in, like, a mega bargain bin. But he just hands it to me one day, and I go, why would you give this to me? And he goes, because you're the man. I thought that was kind of funny. That's why I own it. I've never seen it. And Eugene Levy, you will make a zero out of 100 into a one out of 100. Chuck Jones, you may have turned this film into a two out of 100. And that's about where I would rate this film. I I still stand by that this is basically the worst film I've ever seen. So I don't even know if I'd call it a two. It's so bad. I do not recommend anyone see this film. This is just awful. Do not see it. Does not stand the test of time. And by definition, like all of these references, you're not going to understand. It's funny hearing you say that this is the worst movie you've ever seen, considering some of the dog shit movies that you've made me watch for this podcast that you liked. Like what? Name one. Pearl Harbor. First of all, I thought the middle middle hour of Pearl Harbor was pretty cool. This is bad comedy. You know what this is? Have you ever been to a really bad stand-up night where you just saw like two hours of horrible stand-up comics? There's like nothing worse than that. And you're giving them pity laughs because you feel so bad for them. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, that's what this film is. It's like... Beverly Hills 90666, are you kidding me? And then there's there's more. There's I Love Lucifer, like I Love Lucy, and The Fresh Prince of Darkness. Luckily, it's only an hour and a half of bad comedy. There's a little Chuck Jones cartoon in the middle to kind of like make you not want to just uh, ram your head in the wall, but it doesn't save it in Anyway, and I hate this film. Whoa, that's a strong word coming from you. I challenge you, name another film that we've seen that's worse than this film. Cool as ice. No, no. It falls into the so bad it's good. You talked about that last week. I should have mentioned it, but cool as ice. So bad it's good. I liked it. I'm not sure, but I really don't think you've ever said that you hated a movie on this podcast before. I don't think I have. This is new ground. And I like this side of you, James. I like it when you get angry. I know you like it when I get angry when we watch a shitty movie. I like seeing you get all pissed off in that little vein in your forehead. There's no vein in my... Ah, you made you check the mirror. And I kind of feel bad for the producers that were swindled out of 25 million dollars to make this film. Another film in the top 10 this weekend was Single White Female. 
that film probably was made for a 25 million or less and that was a huge hit like so many things you can make for 25 million dollars that are even bad but better than this yeah i hear you man well that's gonna do it for us this week next week we are going to leave the summer of 1992 and go further back in time we will be talking about a movie called saint elmo's fire It's a Brat Pack movie that I've never seen, and I'm really excited to see it because the cast in this movie is amazing. You've got Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Demi Moore. It's a great cast, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this movie. I've never seen it either, and it's one of these movies that everyone's in. Yeah. So don't miss that episode. Make sure you're talking to us at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can send us an email, the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. If you've got more to say, then uh, we'll just fit in a Instagram post or something like that. And uh, we will see you next time, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.